Heavenly Father, we thank you that your nature and your character um, don't depend on what's happening around us, but they are who you are. That you are good, not because you do good things, but because you do good things because you are good. And even in times of difficulty, in times of struggle, we can turn and trust in your goodness. Father, we pray as we gather together under your word that you would be the one who speaks to us. Uh, whether we are here uh, in this room or listening in online, Father, we commit those who are unwell, those who have friends and family who are unwell, as many do across the world and even in our nation, and ask that you would be the one who brings healing, the one who brings comfort, the one who brings peace during troubled times. We invite your Holy Spirit, would you do a work within us and amongst us, uh, even as we continue to look at the book of Acts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we dive into the story, we'll be looking at uh, Acts chapter 2. We're continuing from where Mbonisi uh, uh, left us last week, and that'll be from verse 5. But I think it's critical that we remember that uh, this is a second volume in Luke's two-part series. And not only are we coming into uh, the second volume, but we're coming into a part of the story where we've got a crescendo. You know, as I was uh, preparing from this, for this message, I listened a lot to, I don't know if you guys know, Hans Zimmer. Uh, this uh, guy who, who puts together music for movies. And one of his uh, uh, titles is called Time, which was in the Inception movie. And it kind of just starts quietly and then builds up, builds up with additional instruments kind of coming in. And at the end, you've got these trumpets blowing. And I feel this part of the story is like a crescendo, a peak in what God was doing uh, with humanity. And even as we come in, I just want us to uh, remember what is the history behind the story. Now, at this particular point, roughly just two months before, Jesus had been unjustly, brutally, cruelly, and excruciatingly executed. He was shamefully exposed. He died as a common criminal, what the Jews considered a cursed death. Many mocked him. And his followers deserted, scattered, afraid, disillusioned, and despondent. But a few days after that, rumors began to emerge that his body was missing. The authorities claimed that Jesus' followers had stolen the body. But I think the thoughtful in Jerusalem wondered. And now seven full weeks later, Jerusalem is packed two to three times what it normally would be in population, as the Jews gathered from all across the world to celebrate the Feast of Ingathering, Pentecost. And during that time, there was heard a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And then a peculiar noise from this gathering of people speaking in several different languages. And this is... we where we get into our story today. We'll read from Luke 2, 5 to 20. Acts chapter 2, sorry. Right. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, 
Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. And all the Africans said, there. And visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, that's non-Jews who converted to Judaism, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked and said, they're filled with new wine. And we'll stop there and continue a bit later. Now, the first thing I want to draw out from this passage is God's inclusiveness of every nation. God's radical inclusiveness. The term that Luke uses for nation is ethnos, which is less about political organization, but more about like a people group, a people who are bound together by language and custom. And this is also the word that the Jews would have used to refer to the nations, the, the Gentiles, people who are non-Jewish, people like us. And when Luke says that there were Jews from every nation under heaven, they're like, oh, were there Kenyans there? It's more like his exp the expression that we have today for all over the world. It's not that there were people from every single people group, but their composition represented worldwide emphasis. As can be seen, I think we'll have a little picture. And this is not strange for us today, because if you went to the nation of Israel today, you would find Israelites from South Africa, Israelites from South America, Argentina, from the US, you would find Israelites from Russia, you'd find them from all over the world. And what this means is that every nation matters to God. Every people group. And there are two particular things that I want to draw out from this story that demonstrate God's inclusiveness. The first is that God orchestrated Jewish history up to this point so that he could include the nations. Why were there Jews from so many different parts of the world? Well, firstly, because it was a requirement of the law. Jews had to go and pilgrim in Jerusalem three times a year, Jewish men. And this was a law that was given over a thousand years before, but pointed to this exact moment. The law, which had emphasized Israel's exclusivity at this point, emphasized God's radical inclusivity. And this is utterly stunning. The second thing is that the Jews had been dispersed throughout the world over the last seven to eight centuries. And this was God judging them for their disobedience to the covenant he had made with them. And so we see God taking their sin, their disobedience and judgment 
and making it an opportunity for salvation. Paul later picks up this theme in Romans 9 to 11. That even in sin, God's purposes were outworked. So now, while at this point in our story, we have to admit that these were Jews and Gentiles were converted to Judaism by getting circumcised and following the law, yet it is critical that we see that as the genesis of the church, God had already put in the DNA of inclusivity by choosing to found the church when there were Jews from all over the world. When the Jews of that day were were famous for their exclusivism, they were famous for excluding people, and other Gentiles wanted to become into into Judaism, but because of the law of circumcision, they, they wouldn't. Yet God imprinted this DNA in the early church. Not only do we see it in their composition, but even as we look at prophecies, like Isaiah 49, verse 6, which says, It is too light a thing. You should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. And we see this as being fulfilled in Jesus. And to bring back the preserved of Israel. Instead, I will make you as a light for the nations. There's that word again. That my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And so while in our story we can, we can see the first half of this verse being fulfilled, that Jesus was, was drawing the preserved of Israel, yet we must not miss the second half. That it would be a light to the nations. And so for us, friends, I think it's important That as we look at this, even though we gather in a physical building, in a physical location in Nairobi today, and represent a particular culture, a particular language, it's important for us to to remember and realize that we carry this DNA. This DNA of God's radical inclusiveness to the nations. We've spoken this year about going out to the unreached people groups. And someone might say, well, why are we talking about unreached people groups? Look at us, we are, we are a, small, uh, a small church in a big city. Let, let's concentrate on, on the suburbs that are just close to, to where we gather on a Sunday. Let, let's concentrate about, on, on Nairobi. How, how can we start talking about unreached people groups and, and these other nations when we haven't even achieved the mission here? Well, because we carry this DNA. We carry this DNA that says every nation is included. Friends, we we don't get to choose our mission. We don't get to choose our calling. It's given to us in the prophetic promises in the Bible. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you too carry this DNA for the nations. Simba, remember who you are. Now, the second thing that demonstrates God's inclusiveness is that he bridged the gap. A couple of months ago, uh, we, we, we had this uh, Bible study with, with some of the youth and we're discussing the book of Ruth and relationships. And one of the questions that the guys asked, I don't know whether it was a question, 
or it was an accusation, or it was a, 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 a proposal that was suggesting. They said, you know, why don't also the ladies propose to the guys? Now, I must admit that in, in, in our time, we never asked such questions. Man, if, if it, you knew what you needed to do and you just went and did it. But in, in this story, unequivocally, irrevocably, we see God making the first move. Now, it is most probable that, Jew, that, that uh, Jesus' followers would have spoken common languages with the Jews who are coming from all over the world. Yet God chose to speak to these multitudes in their native or mother language. This was an expression of God taking the initiative, reaching out to where they were. And in doing this, God was communicating to you and I, was communicating to the world that you don't have to learn a sacred language. You, 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 you don't have to learn classical uh, uh, Hebrew. You don't have to learn first century Greek. You, you don't have to learn uh, Roman Catholic Latin. You, you don't have to learn 7th century Arabic. You, you don't have to learn 16th century KJV English. God to speak to and for you to speak to God. In your native language, whether it's Kenyan sign language, whether it's Kikuyu, whether it's Luo, whether it's Luya, whether you speak Bantu language, Kushite language, uh, whether you speak Nilotic language, whether you speak Dutch, whether you speak German, whether you speak Hindi, in your language, where you are, God moved towards you. And Middle Eastern scholar Kenneth Bailey says in his seminal book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, the modern consensus among scholars is that the Lord's Prayer begins with the Aramaic word, Abba. And therefore, we can assume that Jesus taught his disciples to pray in the Aramaic of daily communication rather than the classical Hebrew of written texts. The Aramaic-speaking Jew in the first century was accustomed to recite his prayers in Hebrew, not Aramaic. Both Judaism and Islam have a sacred language. Christianity does not. The fact is of enormous significance. When you've got these Jews gathered from everywhere across the world, they're used to saying their prayers in Hebrew, and there they begin to hear God speaking to them in another language. This breaks their worldview. And they exclaim and say, what can this mean? You see, one of the great challenges, the elephant in the room, is that when Christianity came to Africa, it came with colonial dress and is associated with colonial language and culture. And friends, this terribly misrepresents the gospel and the implications of Jesus' death on the cross and the outpouring of the Spirit. As we look to reach the city and the nations, let's learn from the story. That it's not the people groups of the world who need to come and adapt to us and adopt our ways. But it is us who must go and learn and adapt. The, the, the gospel must again and again become flesh. That the glory of Jesus may be seen amongst every people every tribe and every language. And we do see this picture in Revelation of the peoples of the world from every tribe, every language, worshiping God. 
You see, if you read scripture, you might come to Genesis 11 and say, well, the languages came as an act of judgment and think that, no, God wants us to be a monoculture, a monolanguage. But in the story today, we see that even through judgment, God was bringing blessing. And he affirms multiculturalism. Andy McCulloch, who's also a pastor and church planter, says this in his book, Global Humility. If worldview is a story, the gospel cannot replace this with a better story whilst it resides in a separate compartment of life. Maybe this is the reason why Christians in some places could notoriously respond to Christ and yet engage in deadly atrocities. Their Christianity received in the trade language was unable to undermine their tribalism received via the mother tongue. Could this be why genocide, election, violence, corruption, HIV are highest in the so-called Christian side of Africa? Do you see what's at stake here? We must break barriers. We must cross boundaries. Go to Nairobi. Speak the language of Nairobi. Engage the culture of Nairobi. And friends, let's not just think this is about language or culture, but even within specific demographies, within society. Let's not expect our children to be the ones who adapt our way of doing church, our way of presenting the gospel. Now, I remember being in my, with my parents in church, and I'm sure for them it was, it was innovative, it was breakthrough, but for me, it did nothing. And friends, we are at that stage, well, I am at that stage, and many of us are, where if we just continue doing what we do without thinking, we'll alienate our children, we'll alienate our teenagers, we'll alienate our young people. We must spend time thinking, how can we make the gospel become flesh? How can we communicate to the children? How can we communicate to the different demographies within our culture and our society? Friends, we must be learners, learners of cultures and context. We must be quick to listen and slow to speak. We must have the humility that says, yes, I do have the gospel, but you still have something to teach me. I will listen to you. We are not the saviors, Jesus is. And he came in great humility, becoming a man like us. This is God's radical inclusive agenda. Now, having said that, and calling us into God's radical inclusive agenda, one of the things that I see that pushes back on this is that in today's church, I see many people inviting God into their agenda and not engaging in his. Just go on YouTube, do a search of the popular Christian songs. Just look on the bestsellers list of Christian books. You will discover songs and books with themes about my situation, my prosperity, my problems, my life. Dare I say... Now, you might get back at me and say, Cephas, haven't you read Psalm 23? Which says, the Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and brings me by still waters. And Africans love this part. Man, he, he spreads a table for me before my enemies. Goodness and mercy like two dogs around me. And yes, that, that is true. But let's remember Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and all in its fullness. The world and everyone who lives in it. Friends, we must hold these two truths together. That God has come in, he has broken into my world, but God also calls me to join in to his agenda. Christopher Wright, who, who wrote a book called The Mission of God, says that from beginning, from Genesis to Revelation, we could describe the theme of the Bible as God's mission. And, and why is this important? Well, because in Africa, we've got so many problems. That if we said, no, I, I, I want to fix my problems. God needs to fix everything in my family. He needs to fix everything in our culture. Friends, it will be generations before we had time to even breathe or even get into God's agenda. In Acts 1, we saw uh, Jesus' disciples asking him, is it now? Is it now the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And we are asking the same question in many different ways in the way that we pray. Is it, is it now when you will fix the economy and provide jobs in Kenya? Is it now when, when you will give us a, a government where, which we can trust and there's no corruption? Is it now when you will end HIV? Is it now when you will end this pandemic? Is it now when you will fix my business? Give me my car, my house, give me my, my spouse. But Jesus' answer to the disciples is still relevant to us today. But when the Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses. You might be under Roman occupation now, but when the Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses. You might face persecution, but when the Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses. You might face poverty, but when the Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses. Friends, I'm not saying this to be insensitive or to say that God ignores where we are in our lives. But I just remember the story of Elijah when he goes to the widow of Zarephath. And asks her for something to drink and something to eat. And she tells them this heart-wrenching story. That she was about to prepare the last meal and her and her son would die. Elijah gives her the promises of God. But says, first prepare something for me. And I wonder, Elijah, how could you be so insensitive? How can you say that to a widow? How can you, haven't you heard what she said? But maybe Elijah was calling her to... Step out in faith to say, yes, here are the promises of God, but I want you to lay hold of them by faith. Yes, God is at work in our lives, but he's calling us to step out in faith by involving ourselves and engaging in his radical, inclusive agenda for the nations. Finally, let's read verses 14 to 21. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed the people and said, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, 
that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And as we've spoken about God's radical inclusiveness for every nation, I want us to see in this passage God's radical inclusiveness for every individual. And that is you personally. Joel speaks in what we can call parallelisms, where he expands on the same idea using different words. And when he talks about pouring out the Spirit on all flesh, he expands and breaks this down as sons and daughters, male and female, young and old, boys, girls, with even connotations of economic status, speaking about servants or slaves. And the way Peter chooses to explain what had happened alludes to the fact that the Holy Spirit just wasn't poured out on the apostles, but it was poured out on all the people who were gathered there, men and women, young and old. You just had to be present. You just had to be there. His message is clear. God can use anyone as his mouthpiece within this mission to every nation. Neither your finances, nor your education, nor your age, nor your ethnicity, nor your gender qualifies nor disqualifies you for being used by God. What matters is that you have called upon the name of the Lord. In other words, you have put your trust in Jesus as your only hope for life. This imagery of pouring out speaks of abundance, speaks of the generosity of God. In other words, there's enough of the Spirit to go around. There's no shortage of the Holy Spirit. You know, the, you, you come into some context in Christianity where it seems like uh, the Spirit is, is, is on a premium. Have you, do you know those kind of situations where, where you need to go to somebody to, to lay hands on you because they have got the Spirit, but the rest of us, somehow we can't access it. When you need to hear from God, you need, you need to go to some special man or some special woman because the Spirit is on a premium and, and only certain people in the church can, can hear from Him. You know, the, the Spirit is on such a premium that now I, I need to produce little bottles of oil or water and send them out. That's the only way you can access them. And sometimes you, you actually need to come and pay me because the Spirit is such a premium. Friends, that, that, that is contrary to the image of God pouring out His Spirit. In Ezekiel's vision, in Ezekiel. 47 when he saw this imagery of a temple and water 
running out of that temple. It says that he, he walked into the water and then it came ankle deep. He walked a little bit further, went knee deep. He walked further, waist deep, until he couldn't even measure it. And this was an image of the abundance of the Spirit as it comes out of God's presence and into the nations. And we see an image of there being trees planted by these waters whose leaves and fruit were for the healing of the nations. Friend, the, the, the Holy Spirit is not there so that we can, we can have an experience and, and just feel good and say we're a charismatic church. It's an expression of God going out into the nations and bringing healing and bringing abundance. It even makes the Dead Sea's water become good. The Spirit even causes dead situations, dead communities, dead nations to come alive. For where the river flows, everything will live. And so the Holy Spirit was poured out. What's at stake is our understanding of what happened when Jesus died on the cross. You know, Sean was talking about our identity in Christ. And sometimes we feel, well, that doesn't really relate to me because I, I don't see myself in that way. Or I, I can't achieve that. Or I haven't earned enough. It's not about you, but it's about the value and the worth of Jesus. The battle of faith is not a battle of trying to make myself good enough or thinking myself into a positive frame of mind where I can see myself as what God calls me to be. But it's about seeing the worth of Jesus that is so priceless that was taken and brutalized and sacrificed on that cross. He is priceless. So whatever promise God has in his name has got to be free because the price was fully paid in Jesus. There's no taking away from Jesus. There's no exhaustion of Jesus. And so it's not a battle of, am I good enough? Can I see myself? Can I work up my faith? Jesus is enough. I don't need to work up my faith to see Jesus. He is perfect. And when that perfect sacrifice was made for me, all the gifts, all heaven could offer, the blessings of heaven are offered to me for free. And that is absolutely right. It is absolutely just. Not because of what I have done or what I can do, but because of what Jesus, who he is, what he has done, and what he's able to do. And friends, this prophetic gift, the gifts of the Spirit that we see promised in Joel, you know, it's easy for us to say, okay, we have the Spirit, let's end it there. His Spirit was poured out. But His Holy Spirit works and does things in people. Throughout the book of Acts, we'll see when the Holy Spirit comes, something happens. He says, my, my sons and daughters shall prophesy. This means to, to speak out words and a message of encouragement, whatever God lays on your heart, even for yourself or for others. When he says they'll dream dreams and see visions, again, these are parallelisms. For the Jew, they would have understood the prophet, would have, God would have spoken to him in dreams and visions. 
what before in the Old Testament was for a select few now was open to all through the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul urged the Corinthians, who seemed to be more out of control with spiritual gifts than anyone, and said, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. I think, Paul, no, man, don't, don't, don't put fuel on the fire. Look at these guys, they're out of control. No, he says, earnestly pursue spiritual gifts. Especially that you may prophesy. Now, admittedly, for many of us, we've been turned off this idea of the prophetic and spiritual gifts by weird and bogus people with really strange and biblical doctrines and mannerisms who call themselves prophets. Right? That's, that's true. And so we, we hold back and we want to have nothing to do with that kind of thing. Who can it help? Yet we've all seen people abusing scripture, haven't we? But we don't say, no, let's, let's stay away from the Bible. You know, this thing is dangerous. Why would we do the same for spiritual gifts and the prophetic? You don't have to become a weirdo. And even if you are a bit weird... It's okay. You'll be in good company. And now as I close, I just want to touch on a few reasons that cause people to hold back from the prophetic. Number one, lack of exposure. You just haven't seen the prophetic gift practice in a real and authentic way. Hopefully, times like this and messages like this will help you out of that, but then you need to act on that knowledge. Number two, it's false teaching. There is teaching that the gifts somehow ceased when the the canon of the Bible was closed. This is untenable both theologically and historically. And for the theology, you can read Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. And historically, it's disproved time and time again by God's people. Even today, God is pouring out His Spirit and His sons and daughters are prophesying. Third thing is legalism. And what do I mean by this? That when you have certain standards and, and certain rules that you feel you have to keep, and so you end up feeling, well, I'm not good enough. When we talk about the prophetic, it's, it's, it's for people like the, the elders or the, the worship leaders. I'm, I'm, I'm just not there yet. I need to read my Bible more, pray enough, get to uh, fast and, and do all these other things. No, you don't. Because Jesus paid the price. In Galatians, Paul says, we receive the Spirit and work miracles, not by doing works of the law, but by hearing and believing in God's promises. Number four, fear of failure and pride. This is being afraid to miss it, make a mistake, look a bit silly. Don't worry, it's not about you, it's about Jesus. And also join a life group. There's an environment where people know you. And even if you look a bit silly, it's okay. They'll still love you and encourage you. Number five is rationalism. Intellectualism. Where we feel everything should be processed rationally, intellectually, empirically, scientifically. And there's, there's no room for going with your gut. 
for listening into God to, to go beyond the rational or the logical. There's, there's no room like Elijah to call down fire from heaven and to pray for the rain after three and a half years. There's no room for mystery. Things that we don't know, things that we can't explain, things that we don't understand. But friends, this produces a message of learning, but not of power. And so, as I close, we've got this radical inclusivism. God calling and speaking to every nation. But we've also got this radical inclusivism of God calling everyone. Every believer. His spirit is available. His sons and daughters will prophesy. Are you willing to pursue the way of love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you prophesy? Are you willing to lay a hold of this promise of Joel? If you've held back for whatever reason, could be any of the reasons that I, I listed or something else that just has held you back, but now you're saying, I, I want to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. I, I want to follow after love, but I want to pursue this gift of prophecy. I just want to invite you to stand where you are. There's nothing magical about standing, but I'd like to pray for you. It just displays an authenticity. It's you crying out to God and saying, Lord, I'm presenting myself. I'm open to what you're doing. Friends, these are the last days. Jesus' death, his resurrection and ascension to the right hand of God have opened up history the promises of God are yes and amen because of what Jesus has done and God has promised not to leave us without equipment for these days friends when, when there is the false now surely the true must shine even brighter and this is the promises that we're laying hold of why don't you just Stretch out your hands to God and begin to ask Him to fulfill His promises in your life. Even I've spoken through Joel. If you know anything that has held you back, just begin to speak to Him and renounce that thinking and say, Lord, I'm leaving that thinking behind. I'm laying a hold of, my, of your promises. Lord, I, I thought I wasn't good enough, but I see that I don't have to be good enough. Lord, I, 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 I thought this thing was, was bogus, but I see there's something that's authentic. And Holy Spirit, we, we, we invite you. We invite you to fulfill your promises today. That your sons and your daughters will prophesy. I ask right now that you begin to unlock and activate your spiritual gifts, but especially that your sons and your daughters would prophesy. And I feel that there are some people here that God has already been speaking to you, but you are not confident because you are insecure either of yourself or insecure of your ability to hear God or you just had no one to talk to you about. 
And I want to affirm that the, God is affirming you right now that my, my son, my daughter, I have already been speaking to you and through you. I want you to be secure, to know that you don't have to do anything else. You don't have to add to your spirituality. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. And I've opened this to you in Christ. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you begin to impart a confidence, begin to impart a courage in those who you have already been speaking to. Would you come, Holy Spirit? Father, I pray for a sense of authority, an authority that is not born in anything around us, but an authority that comes from who you are and who you have called us. There's some you have already been stepping out in the gift of prophecy. But God is saying that I want you to turn up the volume. You, you have been speaking, but I want you to increase the decibels. I want you to take more risks. I want you to have a sense of authority that I am backing you. You are not backing yourself. It doesn't come from what people around you are saying. I myself have given you the authority and I want you to open it and I want you to open your mouth and begin to speak.